Blog Talk Radio. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Folk Runyon. And tonight we will review and discuss The Red Goddess, 2007, and Lucifer Princeps, 2015, by Philippic magician Peter Gray. Now, The Red Goddess is devoted to establishing the history and mystique of the Thelemic composite pagan goddess Babylon, that's B-A-B-A-L-O-N, which Gray correctly derives from Ishtar and Astarte. Now, this evolution is, for the most part, well-researched and well-reasoned from a Thelemic perspective, although Gray is critical of Crowley and seems to think that Babylon is too good for the beast. I would agree with that. Most importantly, he supports the divine feminine in magical religion. Now, in Lucifer Precepts, he does the same for Lucifer on the male side of the magical religious pantheon. And in this case, he works from Isaiah back to the Book of Enoch, correctly concluding that Lucifer was originally Semyaza and of Canaanite origin. Now, with the exception of his interest in Simon Magus, Gray seems to ignore the early Christian Gnostic contributions to magic, which are nonetheless very readable and thought-provoking. So stay with us, and we'll look at our magical history through a glass darkly. Now, um, first I want to say that that Peter Gray's books are very, very, very interesting and fascinating. And um, in the first one, The Red Goddess, he quite frankly says that this is not going to be a scholarly book. And, and, and sure enough, he doesn't have an index. And he, and, and he, he uh, many times... He doesn't reference his material. You have to figure out where it came from uh, using his bibliographies. But in his second book, Lucifer Precepts, she changes years completely and becomes actually scholarly and put with footnotes and, and index and, and cites his sources and everything else. So the Red Goddess is his, is his praise and his worship of of the goddess in uh, in magic and uh, and in and in witchcraft because he he he, de- he deals with witchcraft also with the pagan uh, aspect 
And, and of course, he's talking about Crowley's Babylon, which, as we all, most of us know, Crowley extrapolated from the book of Revelations. Babylon on the back of the beast. Now, of course, in uh, the book of Revelations, Babylon is spelled B-A-B-Y-L-O-N, and Crowley respelled it, uh, rechanged it, B-A-B-A-L-O-N, for, for reasons of gematria. He could uh, he, he could have it add up better. And uh, the the main thing, the main point here, which Gray agrees with, and 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 which we need to make regarding Babylon and and the history of her, is that Babylon is a synthetic. She's a composite. She's a composite of pagan goddesses. Uh, and and she was in the Book of Revelations, a composite of uh, of um, different pagan goddesses, primarily derived, at least in the Book of Revelations, Babylon was primarily derived from Ishtar, uh, and uh, and and secondarily from Astarte. And Astarte, you, you could say that Astarte is the is the Canaanite uh, uh, version of, of Ishtar. But primarily, the reason why uh, Babylon is 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 called Babylon in the Book of Revelation, which is which is Christian, as you know, uh, is because of the Jewish captivity in Babylon. And that uh, carried through, and that's why Babylon became their symbol of, uh, of, of a pagan sex goddess, basically. And I know the... the, uh, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists uh, had a, uh, years ago had a, had a revelation seminar. And I remember I took my daughter to it to get her inoculated against this sort of thing, and and uh, I remember they had a they had a um, uh, a brochure, and they 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 commissioned some very interesting artwork, and somebody had had Eddie Lamar, uh, pictured Eddie Lamar in a purple gown sitting on the back of this seven-headed beast, and I I cut it out. I I, I like that, that you know I. I I, uh, I I'm a kind of a Hedy Lamar fan in a way, and actually actually met her once. But uh, I uh, so I I I cut this out and I got it in the back of my Bible. <laughs> and anyway, uh, what I'm going to do is to start uh, start off on this. Uh, I'm going to read read his first chapter, which is kind of his introduction, and then we're going to going to go through the book and 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 develop more of this and what. The, the pastor resistance of this book, and as far as I'm concerned, the most amazing thing about it is that is that this goddess, this this courtesan goddess, the pagan the pagan goddess, sex goddess, if you will, really comes at least for Crowley really comes out of Dee and Kelly, out of the true out of the true relation. And and Gray has found 
in in the true relation. I think I think it must be in the true relation. I, it, it, uh, at least he cites that in his in his bibliography uh, for this. Uh, you know, that this is the only source that that I can find for it. But this this is the most amazing thing I have I have seen in my magical career regarding this particular subject. I never knew that this that uh, the goddess. Well, he calls her Babylon. Let's just say that she's the, you know, the the love goddess, the love goddess of magic, and she was Medime's mother, and she appears in uh, Medime brings her brings her in, and she gives a speech, and uh, um, we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna quote the whole thing. Um, Peter Gray quotes it. And it, it it it's astounding, and I I pulled out the truth. <laughs> you know when I saw this, I, I thought, my, and I went and I have a beautiful facsimile copy of the True Relation bound in leather, and it's just it's really beautiful. In fact, it looks so much like the real one that you can you can't even uh, you can't even tell the difference. I couldn't find it. It's in there somewhere, but but uh, that that's the pastor resistance of this book is the fact that that out of Kelly's mind. And 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 comes Medime's mother, and delivers this thing, and and it it really, uh, if you're if you're into this sort of thing, this or this will literally knock your socks off. Now, also I should say that Peter Gray's Red Goddess, it, it's a boy's book. It's it's in a way he's writing it for young men, and uh, I think he's probably I don't know how old Peter is, but. But uh, or how old he was when he wrote this, but it's a young man's book. It uh, and and he's taking it from a young man's point of view, and of course that's that with with Crowley and and with with Babylon and and all and, and with all of the uh, that the Thelemic magic. It has to be from a male point of view, yeah, because uh, you know. The, um, Women don't mind, don't mind, you know, don't mind sex, and some of them are more promiscuous than others. But, but they don't like, they, they don't like. I don't, I don't think women are attracted uh, too much to being, uh, you know, to uh, to a high priest who 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 really uh, is wants to be a pimp. I mean, I think they, they that, that 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 of course is the problem with Crowley, and 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 Peter Gray realizes that. Okay, let's let's read the let's read the first his basically his introduction, which he calls a history of mystery. Babylon is a goddess risen from the rich biblical vision of Revelation, a goddess who apparently appeared from nowhere with a seven-headed beast in attendance, giving Christian kids compelling sexy nightmares about the impending war in heaven. She is a holy whore wrapped in scarlet and gold, ready to deliver her antichrist son, the ultimate battlefield weapon, on the side of the fallen angels. She is the archetypal bad girl, sexy as hell, with her blood-red lips and raking fingernails totally in control. Her thighs are wrapped around one muscular-looking beast. Black magic bad boy Alistair Crowley claimed her 
in a collision of Victorian sexual repression and his perpetual chemical erection. A succession of scarlet women women willingly played whore to his beast 666. In the swirl of the 60s, she became an occult archetype of instant titty, a swinger's fantasy of fornication. The drone of the stones and the films of Kenneth Anger lit her up like a torch. In the 80s, AIDS blackened her face. Now she is an occasional accessory to adolescent rebel angels, dosed on hormones, and rate royally screwed off with a new world order. Only it is not quite that simple. I gotta figure a better way to juggle books. Babylon has a history far deeper and richer than this, brim filled with blood that has been passed down through history in an untold story of passion, sacrifice, and illumination. The holy whore has been trampled and abused as well as. As well as I can, this will be the tale I'm going to tell. Babylon is the meeting point of ceremonial magic and the witch cult. She is a power that comes out of the past and resonates into the now with the compelling song of the witch woman. She is both the primal form of the goddess from the far distant past and the most modern icon of post-human style. The holy whore is the great goddess debased through the centuries and now returned at the head of her armies whose ragged penance rise across the battle-scarred world as we go forth into the new aeon. And if you are looking for a pinup girl for these days of blood and thunder, Babylon is where you have to look. To tell the story of Babylon, we'll go back to the days of Samaria and listen to the words of Inanna and Ishtar, only to see her reflected later through the prejudices and hatred of captive Jews. And we must penetrate the Adidum and hear the princess's oracular words coming through in fragments like Burroughs' smack and static prose. We are watchers of the dance of the veils of Salome, Mary Magdalene, Isis, and Astarte display the shrine of the mystery to our hungry eyes. She is a pale dancer, a dollar whore, a catwalk advert for her impossibly red lipstick, a beautiful young girl, your first love. She is Sophia of the Gnostics, a black Madonna, a heroine of the heretic heart. We see her in Elizabeth the Virgin Queen and the unwanted and terrible visions of Edward Kelly. William Blake is seduced by her beauty. A procession of brave antichrists strive to be worthy of her love. 
Byron drags club-footed after her. We see Crowley desperately searching for her with fallen women and strange drugs. His heavy-ringed fingers reaching for her, imploring her through the darkness. The brilliant Jack Parsons, whose solid fuel rocket put men on the moon, burns to death, trying to make her rise, terrible in her beauty. This is about her, and this is about her alone. I am a hand on heart, stick a needle in my eye, ritual magician. I make no pretension to classical scholarship, anthropology, or archaeology. Erratic capitalization and poetic connections abound, for better or for worse. What I have done is pursue Babylon to the full extent of my powers. I have carpet burns and scars, broken friendships and lost lovers. I have calluses on my knees for meditation. I have screamed myself silent and stayed up to watch the sunrise so many times. I have made love, and this is where my understanding comes from. And if St. Paul saw through the glass darkly, my fault is that I have gazed directly at the sun. Perhaps my strange journey will help you on your own crooked path towards her. Like it or not, that is where you are going. The holy whore is coming for you. To understand what I'm going to say, you do not need a degree in Aleister Crowley or a master's in metaphysics. I want you young, raw, hungry, and passionate. Yeah, he He's writing this for young men. This book should make sense to those who pick this up as much as those who have a library stuffed with the spines of heavyweight culture, and hopefully a hell of a lot more. This is the simplest thing. This is for virgins. For those of you who can feel wonder and excitement and love, regardless of how far you have wandered down the paths of carnal pleasure, this still will not be an easy road. Just keep sight of the very simple central point, and it will see you through. And if you are new to all this, some of the terms will be alien, and the idea is hard. But the central thrust is all that you require. I want you to be thrilled with her presence. At the time, she is trying to tell you something very simple, instinctive. Let the blood in your veins respond to her. That is where the magic is. And the end, and in the end, the words will not count. That's quite an opening. Well, um... So, of course, he proceeds to, uh, you know, give us the historical background, you know, and, uh, you know, as, as, as Ishtar and uh, Inanna and Ishtar in, in Samaria and, and, and Babylon and Assyria. Then he very, you know, he very quickly goes through this and, and, and uh, to the book of Revelations because this is where, this is where Babylon you know the composite of pagan goddesses appears, and and so you might say she's the she's in that sense that she's the literary creation of John of Patmos, who wrote the book the the book called Revelation. By the way, it's not Revelations; it's Revelation. 
Uh, and uh, now, John, starts Revelation with a vision of an angel. I'm reading now from from, uh, Peter's book. Uh, John starts Revelation with a vision of an angel who wants all the churches to hear what he's got to say. This is not an angel. This is Jesus. So the message is clear to Christians. You'd better pay attention. He has brass feet a double-edged sword, and seven stars in his hand, and it's quite a sight. And it needs to it needs to be to reassure the beleaguered faithful Jesus was not uh has not shown up since the ambiguous tomb incident on the third day, contrary to the predictions. They need some cheerleading. If you want to see this picture you can you can see it in the in, in our uh, Hermetic Yoga book. Uh now um, the letters to the seven churches. The next two chapters are rousing letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. They are under threat from internal heresy and external threat from the cult of the emperor. Again, this rather rubbishes the idea of revelation is meant to be describing future events. The interesting part of the letters comes when John starts by attacking one Jezebel in the diocese of Thyatria. Now, her name actually means Oath of Baal, often translated as the rather damning follower of idols. Now, this marks her out as part of a very different religious tradition that coexisted with Christianity. I'll discuss that particular statement after I get done with this, because uh, that that happened to be that that, that 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 different religious tradition happened to be Valentinian Christianity. That's what they're talking about. The crimes of this Jezebel are an echo of the earlier namesake though it is possible that by now Jezebel has morphed into a general word for pagan bad girl, and the Son of God promises to kill her children and is generally vengeful. In fact, the God of love delivers a whole bunch of plagues in these scant pages. Her familiar crimes are listed in Revelation. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffered that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Regardless of the truth, of the allegations, this passage reinforces certain key biblical ideas about what women cannot do. The attack on Jezebel is fundamentally an attack on her power as a priestess. Women cannot be allowed to exercise this function in the Christian church, not in Paul's version of it anyway. 
The attack on Jezebel also serves a warning. Priestess, who had watched over the mysteries, had transmitted the knowledge of sex magic, though their very bodies have it coming, uh, coming to them. The use of the term suffer reminds us of the classics, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live in Exodus. The simple fact is, is that the patriarchal slave religion, Apollyon Christianity, simply cannot abide goddess-based religions, female mysteries, and essentially woman herself. There is no place for her in the new religious order. The ideal woman of the Bible seems to make a remarkable transition from virgin to mother without actually having uh, let alone enjoying sex. As Revelation is an attack on, on Babylon, it is also an attack on all avatars of female spiritosexual powers. Jezebel is the first to come under attack, and with her, the entire role of priestesses and divinity of the goddess. Now, let's make a few comments about this. Jezebel, of course, uh, the name is taken from a Canaanite uh, uh, priestess, the wife of a, actually the wife of, a, uh, of, a, of an Israelite king, uh, who was a Canaanite, and his wife was a priestess, uh, probably of Astarte, and uh, and she was uh, thrown out of her window and, and stoned and, and fed to the dogs, and uh, that, that's Jezebel, and that's where they got the name. However, I want to point something out here that that, uh, that uh, Peter does not point out, although he later deals with Mary Magdalene. We'll get, but Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene wrote her own gospel. We have it in the Nagamati, and she she was a teacher, and she did teach. Uh, she did teach whether or not you want to call it sex magic or not. I, I I'm not sure it is, but it is. But it is a, a form of tantra yoga, and you can read it in the Nagamati Gospels. Uh, and and Mary Magdalene, if she wasn't the, if she was not the wife of Jesus, she certainly was his his constant companion and consort. And and frankly. This Jezebel here that John of Patmos is, is fulminating against is probably probably a follower of, of Mary because Mary was one of the leaders of the church when they when they first after Jesus uh, Jesus was crucified she was one of the leaders and it's it, it's very very probable that this that this gal called Jezebel that, that John of Patmos is talking about was was one of the you know, one of Mary's Mary's uh, priestesses in that line. That's my comment on that. Now, let's uh, let's go on over to um, um, his chapter on Mary Magdalene. Now, he does he does have names tonight. I'm going to read the whole cha- the whole little short chapter in Mary Magdalene uh, because he does have good information here, and he and, and it's fairly well researched. Uh, now, he calls it Mary Mary quite contrary. Christianity got itself into a real fix when it decided to do away with the goddess. It was launching a new brand name into an ancient world that was still pretty keen on women. 
and a skinny guy nailed to a couple of planks was only going to work for the gay SM side segment of the market. So a couple of things happened. The Gnostics snuggled her into their bosom, and Pauline Christianity did their damnedest to cut her out of history. And as the psychologists could have guessed, the goddess was going to pop up again. And sure enough, she did. In a dramatic tale of secret societies, hidden scrolls, mysterious statues, and our oldest cathedrals, and a scandal about the bloodline of Jesus, that would rock Christendom if anybody cared anymore. Enter Miss Mary Magdalene, stage left, in a rather flimsy number, and she is wearing a plain wedding band of cane and gold, and the bearded patriarchs occupying the front rows of our little theater shout, slapper, until their beards are flecked with spittle, and in the crowd, and though it is difficult to make out the faces clearly, there seem to be the Templars, Merovingian kings, Freemasons, Rosicrucians, and general troublemakers. My God, there are even women in there. And from where they are sitting, she could be any number of things. Many of them seem to be blithely ignoring anything she says and simply making it up. Most importantly, from their rapt attention, we can see that she is hope. They are all fervently projecting their image on her. On her, and he has ebony skin here, and she wasn't black, even though some statues of her in France are. And some of them are whispering Babylon. Those are the Thelemites, of course. So, what is the story of our biblical strumpet with the besmirched? and rather lovely name, sashaying into the Middle Ages. Miss Magdalene gets scant mention in the Bible. Worse than that, there are several women whose identities get all muddled up with the Mary we are looking for. And this gives us a couple of choices. We can look for historically accurate and textually based women, or we can take the more dangerous path of the archetypes and see what our contrary Mary has become. Have a wild guess which one we're going to do. The one fact that people know about the Magdalene is a lie. Mary Magdalene was not a whore, plain and simple. This is a smear story that has stuck despite the lack of reference in the New Testament. The fathers of the church wanted her discredited and started the story, and it has run and run. The fallen woman who repented and turned good became a Christian myth. Reinforcing the inevitability of the fornication-hungry goddess worshipers coming over to Jesus' team. What a terrible waste. (laughs) The attempt to make the Magdalene a no-good prostitute does, however, point to a hidden history. Like a Stalinist photograph, the missing figure sometimes leaves a black halo. 
There is a story of the spaces between the women who were bewailed as fallen by the joyous has fallen by the joyous joyless Jehovah. I mean, do that again. The women who were bewailed as fallen by the joyless Jehovah mob were often priestesses of Astarte. This, of course, is the goddess who was literally demonized into the less-than-lovely Astaroth of the medieval grimoires. If we are looking for a history of her, then perhaps her face was one of the temple prostitutes and priestesses of Solomon's temple. Perhaps the beguiling charms of Mary Magdalene were learnt in the service of the goddess. The Magdalene is the woman who has seven demons driven from her body by Jesus. And this may in itself be a reference to a heretical past. And the word used for these devils can also be translated as a binding as blinding winds, so that these demons were dust devils, the jinn of the Koran, and of course the Lady Lilith. Solomon's goddess worshipping consort, the Queen of Sheba, was also reputed to have been sired by these elementals. In the Gospels, Mary Magdalene appears as Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is the Lazarus who raised from the dead as a resurrection. That sounds more like an initiation ceremony than a funky piece of necromancy. The next time Jesus is passing through, through Bethany, he stays at the house where an unmarried woman anoints his head with spikenard oil. This woman is Mary Magdalene. Spikenard oil was an expensive, heavy perfume, and the fact that a woman had wasted this on him caused some consternation among the disciples. They wanted him to sell the oil and give the cash to the poor. Now, this sounds pretty charitable until you realize that the poor was, in fact, a code name for their radical sect of anti-Roman heretic terrorists. There is a telling tension in the scene between the Magdalene and the disciples that does not go away. This expensive oil adds weight to the story that Mary Magdalene was a rich woman, even a princess of the house of Benjamin, making her a worthy bride for Jesus. She is also reputed to own seven houses in Bethany and her own tower on the shores of the Galilee. Magdalene can, in fact, be translated as watchtower or tower of the flock. Anointing Jesus with oil has another meaning. The Magdalene here is showing that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah and the King, just as the gardener who uh, who anointed, who was anointed by Inanna before the sacred marriage. The Magdalene is acting as his priestess. This ritual shows to the other disciples that Jesus is destined for a sacrificial death and that Mary Magdalene is his wife. Yes, you did read that correctly. Immediately after this act, the equally oily Judas Iscariot rushes to betray Jesus to the authorities. This is not the only biblical evidence 
of the Magdalene, that Magdalene and Jesus were married. Esoteric tradition notes that the marriage at Canaan, where Jesus turned water into wine, it does not say who, who was being married. The implication is that it was Jesus and the Magdalene. And that this is deliberately glossed over in the Gospels. We are back to the black halos seeing what the official historians have excised from the records. Again, the miracle of turning water into wine is an allegory for initiation, not a literal act. In the Gospel according to Philip, Jesus is described as kissing her on the mouth and holding her above all the other disciples as his companion and consort. And in the Gospel of Thomas, she is described as koinomos, which which is a term used specifically for a companion. In the Pista Sophia, her heart is turned towards the kingdom of heaven more than all the other brothers, and she is blessed beyond all women on earth. She is the the pleroma, the fullness. There is even a very strong argument that she was the real author of the fourth gospel, the so-called gospel according to John. And I also might mention the Although Peter doesn't mention the Gospel of Mary and Nagamati, I think you should look at that one too. The whole sequence of the crucifixion is full of hints of the Magdalene and Christ, that they had a very special relationship. She stands at the foot of the cross while he is dying. She attends the tomb on the third day to prepare the body when this is something that only the wife or family of the dead man can do. In John, she is even described as going to the tomb alone. Mary is the first to meet the risen Christ and does not recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. Coincidentally, that is the gardener who took the bride of it. Uh, it is the gardener who took the bride of Anana. You take the hint? We are not talking about Babylon, but there is a scent of wild roses, something intangible in the air. This gives us a very different Jesus to the straight King James Version. He is closer to Tammuz. He is tainted with with the goddess. Mary Magdalene has moved from background artist to center stage in the Christian mystery play. But things are about to get even stranger than that. Touch me not, he says, and goes. The disciples are skeptical about her claims. Jesus is no longer around to defend the various, to, to, to defend the version of the Magdalene but, uh, yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, Jesus is dead. It now seems that this woman, the beloved disciple, is claiming the mantle of their Messiah. Seeing visions and trading off knowledge, they were not privy to. Many of the disciples are just not having that. In the Gospel according to Mary, dredged out of the desert sands of Egypt, with the rest of the Nagamati texts, 
she tells the disciples what Jesus taught about the soul. And when they have finished listening, Peter speaks. Did he really speak privately with a woman and not openly to us? Are we to turn about and listen to her? Did he prefer her to us? Then Mary wept and said to Peter, My brother Peter, what do you what do you think? Do you think that I have thought all this up myself in my heart or, or, that, or that I am lying about the Savior? James pleads her case, but and the other disciples seem to have branded her a liar. Christianity is born to this background in a turmoil of blood and betrayal. James is later executed and the Jerusalem church destroyed. Paul now comes to the fore. The Magdalene is believed to have been preaching her own feminized version of Jesus to the Gnostic hotheads, but it is a dangerous place and time. The legend says that she skipped the country, perhaps to Egypt, perhaps pregnant with the child of Jesus. The evidence has run out here. We are moving into poetry. Certainly the beloved disciple, the one that, who Jesus kissed on the lips and praised above all others, was a threat to the orthodoxy. And this is already setting in like rigor mortis. Fleeing seems a good idea. And if the blood did not come and she she knew she was pregnant with the with the daughter or son of the son of the son of God, all the more reason to go. The tale is that she went with uh, Mary and Joseph and Lazarus to Chem, the black land in Egypt indeed, the Coptic Christians uh, kept closer to Gnosticism, perhaps, due to the influence of the Magdalene. And from there, she fled even further with her child, Sarah, to France, landing at what is now Sans Marie's de la Mer, the, uh, the bearer of the, of the sacred bloodline of Christ, the Sangreal, or Holy Grail, has escaped has escaped the story of Christianity. She says nothing more, perhaps, the radical days of, of youth, and her dead lover come back to her uh, on empty nights. What Paul preaches is very different to her, to the firebrand back in, in, in Quram. Yet there, is, yet there is a grave attributed to Mary Magdalene in Provence, and a body that has been visited by delegations from the Vatican. Mixed signals on so many waiting and so many wanting wanting to believe. Her worship was taken up by heretics. The Cathars allegedly taught that she was the bride of Christ and paid for this teaching with their lives. In Bizarre's the entire population of the town walked into the flames rather than renounce their belief in the marriage of Mary and Jesus. It is impossible to tell whether the fervor of this belief was the result of the charisma of the Cathars, who were the who, were, who, who the Catholics mockingly called perfecti, or the possession of a copy of the forbidden Gospels recovered in Nagamati. This century, perhaps one bought 
perhaps one one brought to France by the Magdalene herself. No evidence of this has been found. Paper burns even better than heretics do. One set of bones believed to be the Magdalene's were wrenched into the kindly arms of the Dominicans by the Pope in nineteen in twelve ninety five. The Dominicans were of course the backbone of the Inquisition. What heretics could maintain a cult when its holiest relic was so firmly in the hands of the enemy. The grinning skull was draped with blonde locks in what looks like a deliberate blasphemy at the expense of the lost virgin. The Templars, who loved the Magdalene and their order, went to the sword. And this heresy leads to the Merovingian kings and the grail that was the grail that was the womb of the Magdalene, filled with the royal blood of the house of David. If that serves your purpose in the modern world, we are liberated from the idea of royalty or spirituality, authority being transmitted in a particular family's blood. What could have been a devastating revelation for society and the church is now of little worth. So where does this tale leave us? There are several threads to follow. The bloodline of Christ's conspiracy has ended in a snarl at the juncture of René Le Chateau and Rosalind and both dedicated to Mary Magdalene, try to untangle at your peril, most end up caught by bleeding to death in the Rosebriars, and their blood and struggles seeping down to feed the hidden treasure in the deep black earth. Um, let us, let us, just, I have not finished this chapter and it's very good, and but but that's enough to encourage you to 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 get the book and and, and read it because uh, that that chapter is excellent. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to because I want to make sure I get this this across in tonight's uh, presentation is what is embedded in uh, the true relation uh, that, uh, in Enochian. And D. and Kelly, and uh, D. and Kelly's um, D. and Kelly's scrying or or uh, testimony of the goddess uh, is is um, is really absolutely incredible, and uh, and as I said, this I didn't I did not realize that this was. I, I had no idea that this was was in uh, the true relation, or uh, I never I never read it before, and 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 um, you know I, I I thought I had read the true relation, but it must be in there. Uh, if not, I certainly uh, you know respect it. Uh, I don't I don't think Peter Gray is uh, is. Uh, <laughs> Isn't presenting anything that isn't that isn't real or isn't true, but uh, 
the, the, the background of this is is Medime. Uh, Dee and Kelly, as most of you know, uh, the Elizabethan magicians, they they were scrying spirits on their holy table, and one of the spirits that they had was a was a a little uh, a little uh, naked girl uh, who called herself Medime, and uh, and she was uh, one of their you know she sort of introduced them to things and 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 was oracular in her own way. And she, what she did was she presented them to her, to her mother. She brought her, she she brought her mother um, to them, and her mother delivered this delivered this to them, which I will read, which I think is is incredible. And this was this was her mother's speech. I am the daughter of fortitude. Ravished every hour from my youth. For behold, I am understanding, and science dwelleth in me. The heavens oppress me. They covet and desire me with infinite appetite. Few or none that are earthly have embraced me. For I am shadowed with the circle of the sun, and covered with the morning clouds. My feet are swifter than the winds. My hands are sweeter than the morning dew. My garments from the beginning, my dwelling place is in myself. The lion knoweth not where I walk. Neither do the beasts of the field understand me. I am deflowered and yet a virgin. I sanctify, and I am not sanctified. Happy is he that embraceth me, for in the night season I am sweet, and in the day full of pleasure. My company is a harmony of many symbols, and my lips sweeter than health itself. I am a harlot for such as ravish me, and a virgin with such as know me not. For lo, I am loved of many, and I am a lover to many. And as many come unto me, they should do, have they entertainment. Purge your streets, O you, o you sons of men, and wash your houses clean. Make yourselves holy. Put on righteousness. Call out your old strumpets and burn their clothes. Absent from the company of other women that are defiled, that are sluttish and not handsome and beautiful as I. For then I will come and dwell among you. And behold, I will bring forth children unto you, and they shall be the sons of comfort. I will open my garments and stand naked before you, and your love may be more inflamed toward me. As yet I walk in the clouds, as yet I am carried with the winds. 
and cannot descend unto you for the multitude of your abominations, the filthy loathsomeness of your dwelling places. Behold these four. Who is he that shall say they have sinned? Or unto whom shall they make account? Not unto you, the sons of men, nor unto your children, for unto the Lord belongeth the judgment of his servants. Now therefore, let the earth give forth her fruits unto you, and let mountains forsake their barrenness. Where your footsteps shall remain, happy is he that saluteth you. Cursed is he that holdeth up hands against you. Power shall be given unto you. From thence, from henceforth, to resist your enemies. The Lord shall always hear you. And in times of your troubles, I am sent unto you to play the harlot with you. And I am to enrich you with the spoils of other men. Prepare for me, for I come shortly. Provide your chambers for me, that they may be sweet and cleanly. For I make a dwelling place amongst you, and I will be common with the Father and the sons, yea, and with all them that truly favoreth you. For my youth is in her flower, and my strength is not to be extinguished with man. Strong am I above and below, and therefore provide for me, and behold, I now salute you, and let peace be among you, for I am the daughter of comfort. Disclose not my secrets unto women, neither let them understand how sweet I am, for all things belongeth not unto everyone. I come unto you again. Now, that speech, that's that's where the scarlet woman comes from, that's where Babylon comes from, and that that's what justified Kelly in in uh in, in uh, and D in their wife swapping experiment and of course that ruined it. That that ruined their relationship as it does in, in all relationships. And and uh the uh but that the past speech is, is is as I said, that's the that's the tour de resistance. That's that's the that's that's Babylon. That that's where she comes from. And uh not that's not necessarily a start to yet. This is this is this is uh or, or a start. This is Babylon. Um and uh that's the, we're getting pretty close to uh the end. However, there is one thing I would like to like to say before um, I'd like to read before we we wrap this one up, and that is that that Peter Gray, for all of his 
uh, extolling Babylon in this book and doing a very, very good job of it, he he does believe that Crowley, well, as I put it, that, that Babylon was too good good for the beast. She she was, and 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 as proof of this, he has one of these lines from the one of these paragraphs from the Book of the Law, which um, um, pretty much indicates that that Crowley that Crowley wanted to control. He wanted to control the goddess. He didn't want the goddess having having any any measure of control, not not over him. And here's here's what 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 he said of the book of the law or what was channeled. Let the scarlet woman beware. If pity and compassion and tenderness visit her heart, if she leave my work to toy with old sweetnesses, then shall my vengeance be known. I will slay me her child. I will alienate her heart. I will cast her out from men as a, as a shrinking and despised harlot. Shall She shall crawl through the dusk-wet streets and die cold and hungered. Yeah. So, was that was Crowley's attempt to control something that truly was powerful, obviously, and and we just read out of Dean Kelly, we just read the source of it, which Crowley must have read, uh, because Crowley studied uh, studied Dean Kelly extensively. So this is where Babylon came from, and that's what he said about her. And and uh, that he was going to you know he was going to control her so uh, no so that 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 should uh, should be the final word on 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 uh, on Crowley's uh, vision of the you know I I had a I called Crowley a misogynist one time and and and, and one of one of my listeners uh, uh, jumped on me about it and he said. Oh, you ought to read The Beast in, in Berlin, and you realize how much Crowley loved women. So I read The Beast in Berlin. We even did a show on it. And and in 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 Europe, in, in not just in Berlin, but but in in Central Europe and Portugal, and Crowley Crowley just he he didn't treat he didn't treat his Scarlet women very well. He he. he 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 ended up putting most of them most of them ended up in rehab or or in you know in uh, or or fatally ill. Anyway, enough of that. So so um, this book, as I say, the Red Goddess is 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 really marvelous. Next week we will go ahead and and uh, and get into um, and get into uh, Lucifer Princeps. So we'll have. Um, we'll have that one for next week. And that is also another, Lucifer is another one of these composites. Uh, Babylon's a composite. You know, she, she's, as we said, and, and as Peter points out, uh, that Babylon's a composite of, of uh, pagan goddesses, mostly Ishtar and Astarte. But, um, but uh, Lucifer, 
Lucifer is also a a, a composite of, of numerous numerous pagan luminaries and and uh, and 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 of Canaanite origin. So we have another exciting uh, show for uh, for next week. And until then, good magic.